0: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and
1: distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables.
2: Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome the IBM Corporation as a new sponsor of the Costa Report, which is now available on radio stations across the country and on the Internet on the Voice America Business Channel. The Costa Report is now one of the fastest-growing talk shows in the nation, and if by some slim chance you live in an area where you don't receive this broadcast, well, here's what you do. You pick up the phone and you call your favorite station and you tell them that you want straight talk radio in your area. And speaking of straight talk, our guest this hour has the distinction of being the longest serving United States Secretary of Transportation. In just a moment, Mr. Norman Minetta will be joining us to talk about why the biggest threat to airports may not be inside the terminal, but the porous area around the perimeter instead. But before Manetta joins us, as is my custom each week, let me give you a little background about his unusual journey to our nation's capital. Norman Yoshio Mineta was born and raised in San Jose, California. During World War II, Mineta and his family were forced to leave their family business and home to relocate to a Japanese internment camp near Cody, Wyoming, an experience which left an indelible impression on the young Mineta. Once released from internment, the family returned to San Jose, where Mineta graduated high school and later attended the University of California at Berkeley, where he received his degree in business administration. Manetta immediately joined the United States Army, serving as an intelligence officer in Japan and Korea. And following military service, Manetta joined his family's insurance business and began serving on the Human Relations Commission in San Jose. Then in 1967, he was appointed to fill a vacancy on the San Jose City Council, which became a permanent position when he ran for and won an election for that seat. The rest is a matter of public record. Mineta became the 59th mayor of San Jose and the first Asian-American mayor of a major U.S. city. In 1975, he was elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he became chairman of the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. By 1995, Mineta was ready to return to civilian life, and he joined Lockheed Martin. Martin, as a vice president. And that should have been that. Then in 2000, he was appointed by President Clinton to become Secretary of Commerce. And with that appointment, Mineta became the first Asian American to hold a presidential cabinet position. In 2001, Mineta was appointed Secretary of Transportation by President George Bush, becoming the only Democrat to serve in Bush's cabinet. As Secretary of Transportation, it was Mineta's responsibility to order all planes to be grounded during the 9-11 attacks. And Mineta was also largely responsible for the formation of the TSA, something we'll hear more about later in the program. In 2006, Mineta resigned from his government post, breaking yet another record, the longest-sitting Secretary of Transportation in our nation's history. He joined Hill and Knowlton and continues to advise on security and transportation issues. I understand from our engineers at the moment that Mr. Mineta's phone line was disconnected, and they're trying to get him back on the line as we speak. Uh... You know this is a thing I love about live radio. <laughs> you know what happens you 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 plan, you prepare for it, the guest is ready, and then the technical bugs just get you. They just get you, don't sometimes, they Sam
1: sometimes they do yeah. they
2: they do and you know what are you gonna do? Uh, there's nothing you can do other than to let the audience know that uh, that the longest running. Secretary of the Transportation, is not in charge of the of radio airwaves. That we can tell people. <laughs> because if he was, he, he'd get a little he'd, bit of, he'd, he'd get a few it, complaints. He'd
1: fix us up in a... He'd
2: fix us up in a hurry, wouldn't he? Yeah. That's right. You know what I found so amazing about Mr. Minetta is his background. After his family was moved to an internment camp... After being stripped of all their rights, after having to shut down the family business, leave their home... Uh, it was amazing that Mr. Manetta's father uh, worked for military intelligence from within the internment camp. And what was even more spectacular was the fact that Mr. Manetta himself has devoted his life to public service in spite of that background. So I understand that we have Mr. Manetta on yeah, the line we do. now. We sure do. Well it's my welcome my it's my pleasure to welcome to the program one of our greatest examples of a nonpartisan approach to solving problems. Mr. Norman Minetta, thank you for being with us, Mr. Minetta.
4: I apologize for being late. Um, I was caught in traffic trying to rush back to the House uh, to be here by five, but unfortunately, if we had a Secretary of Transportation who might have taken care of transportation issues, I might have been on time.
2: <laughs> well, that's a good point. That just makes the point that uh, we need you back in office so we can take care of these traffic problems. It, you know, the first thing I want to do is congratulate you on getting the TSA up and fully functional in just uh, one year. Uh, that was a tremendous undertaking. And these days, uh, we seem to be able to get very little done in Washington. And it's I think it's important to point out successes like the TSA, uh, despite despite the complaints of long lines and delays, there has not been another incidence of hijacking, and that is very hard to argue with. So let's talk about the big elephant in the room, airport perimeters. How concerned should we be about the ease of getting on airport property?
4: Well, we should be concerned about it. And the problem is that the basic responsibility for perimeter security is left up to the individual airports and is not mandated in any way by uh, federal law. Now there are certain requirements in terms of what has to be done, but uh, basically the implementation uh, is really done by the local airports. And given the fiscal condition uh, of most local airports, that becomes a low priority item. So unfortunately, it's not one that uh, gets to the top of the list.
2: I understand, and I, as I understand it, there are about 450 commercial airports, and as you point out, they're all responsible for their own budget, their own plan for securing the perimeter or lack of. Uh, is there any reason that uh, we don't extend the scope of what the TSA is responsible for and, and put the TSA in charge of best practices for perimeter securing or something along those lines?
4: I think at the time, uh, as the... Um legislation for um, the whole Transportation Security Administration was being formulated. The question was how much is available and what are the areas that we ought to be um, putting the emphasis on the priorities. So most of it was on getting the screeners at the uh, commercial airports uh, by November 17th. 2002, which was the to give us one year to have everybody in place. We essentially went from zero employees to about 67,000 in one year. The second part of that was by December 31 of 2002, we had to have explosive detection systems at all the commercial airports. And... um, was sort of interesting because the best machine that was being made at the time was uh, done by a small company whose uh, production efforts probably at the time were capable of producing maybe 13 to 15 machines a month. And we needed 3,700 machines uh, in a year and a year and one month. So what I did was to um, call Jeff Immelt, the CEO of GE, and ask him if I could get the licensing rights for this machine, could you help us produce these in sufficient numbers? to have them in place by December
2: 31. Uh-huh. Now we have to take a, a short commercial break, so when we come back on the other end of the break, let's continue to hear about that licensing agreement and where that took the TSA. You're listening to the Costa Report.
5: love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate.
6: Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's Big Data Platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM Big Data Platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash bigdata today.
7: Hi, I'm Andy, the produce manager at Ben Loman Market. This week, we are featuring California Sweet Mini Seedless Watermelons, two for $5, California Raspberries, two baskets for $5, and California Red or Green Seedless Grapes, $1.49 a pound. Fall items have started to arrive. California Italian Prunes, $0.99 cents a pound. California Red Globe Grapes, a dollar ninety nine a pound and california gravenstein apples a dollar sixty nine a pound for mexico we have tender asparagus tips three forty nine a pound inorganic red or green seedless grapes a dollar ninety nine a pound california pluots a dollar forty nine a pound and california organic heirloom tomatoes three sixty nine a pound we have many more specials in our produce department so come Check out our great selection of fresh produce at Ben Loman Market.
0: I have a tea. We're going to do 25 now, 15 now, 75. We're to go 300, 325, 353, 75. We're to go 400, 425, 450. Imagine finding an old painting or chair or fishing lure while rummaging through the attic. Is it junk or is it hidden treasure? Hello, I'm Rob Slowinski of Slowinski Auctions and Appraisers in Scotts Valley. Before you throw that item out, You better make certain it's not Hidden Treasure, and the way to do that is to join me at 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon here at KSEO for Hidden Treasures Radio Show. Put that item on the table in front of you and call the show. We'll figure out what that item is, where it came from, what it's worth, give or take. So don't throw that item out. Instead, join me, Rob Slowinski of Slowinski Auction Company, Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. For Hidden Treasures Radio Show. Is it junk or is it hidden treasure?
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest is former United States Secretary of Transportation, Mr. Norman Mineta. And before the break, we were talking about how the company, which was producing the uh, screening equipment needed by the TSA, couldn't ramp up production fast enough. So the government approached the company and asked if they could obtain a license. And on that cliffhanger, we had to go to a commercial break. So let me let you continue from there.
4: So we were successful in getting a licensing agreement and GE was able to produce the uh, roughly 3,700 machines that we needed by uh, December 31 of uh, 2002. And interestingly enough, about maybe about two years after we got that licensing agreement for them, GE actually bought the company because there wasn't that much difference between what that company was doing and the CAT scans uh, that uh, GE was producing. So it fit into their business model as well. So uh, GE did end up buying the company.
2: Mm-hmm. So back to the TSA and their responsibilities, it almost feels like the TSA pretty much stopped it inside the terminal uh, and that there hasn't been any movement in terms of uh, moving outside to the perimeter area and taking measures to protect that perimeter.
4: They do deal with the outside in terms of the tarmac around the terminal uh, buildings, but you're right about uh, perimeter security. That really doesn't fall uh, as a responsibility for issuing rules and regulations on minimum standards that are are required on um, poor. Now, there are minimum standards. It's the enhanced uh, standards that are left up to the uh, local airports.
2: Just to give our audience a little bit of an idea of how big those perimeters are, for a midsize airport, I believe that you say it's about 15 miles of perimeter that have to be uh, protected. Uh, and when you count 450 commercial airports in 15 miles, that's, that's a lot of mileage to protect. It starts looking like our borders.
4: Right, and we did have an incident not too long ago where there was someone on a jet ski who got onto the LaGuardia Airport property and crossed something like three runways in order to uh, get to where he was going. I think he ran out of gas on his, on, on his jet ski. But, you know, how, if, you, if that happens, um, and the uh, young man was not apprehended until he got very close to the terminal building, I mean, that really speaks uh, loudly about what ought to be done to uh, protect the, uh, to enhance and increase the security in terms of perimeter. Uh, security.
2: Now, there have been reports of drivers crashing through fences and driving onto the runway in Philadelphia, Miami, Dallas, and other airports. Um, is there any such thing as a best practices standard or anything that the federal government is issuing to airports to help them move to a more advanced uh, security system?
4: I, I don't believe so. I think they have some minimum requirements. And that probably amounts to maybe uh, chain link fencing. But I know here at the uh, National Airport along the, uh, along the Potomac, uh, I don't believe there's even, uh, even chain link fencing along that shoreline.
2: Now, chain-link fencing sounds pretty primitive to me. I mean, you could just cut through that or just a regular truck, you know, a worker truck can just blow right through a chain-link fence. Um, You've pointed out that a few airports have taken steps to use software that will detect threats coming from a standoff distance and um, that those systems are tied into uh, quick response by police and emergency workers. Can you talk about some of those advanced systems for a moment?
4: Well, the... um and one of the great things about, uh, about uh, American companies is they're very, very innovative, and they come forth with a lot of ideas uh, when there are issues pending. So there are things that companies make that may be applicable to, like say, border protection uh, along our southern border, and uh, some of that technology... Is being used to um, help airports, so that whether it's um, heat seeking or whether it's pressure, people you know walking, coming close to a perimeter area, mm-hmm. uh, it's among some of the more. Uh, I guess I would des- describe it as the larger commercial hubs that are more um, attentive to. Lot of these issues, including perimeter uh, security.
2: Right, because uh, I mean, looking at it as a layman, uh, once the threat is at the chain link fence, it's a little bit late because there's not enough uh, distance there and time wise to uh, respond preemptively. Uh, So you really have to look beyond the chain link fence and see the threat coming, don't you?
4: They do have maybe, let's say, uh, three areas or three layers. Of um, obstacles that people have to go through, it may be, um, and they may have the chain link fencing in three uh, areas, mm-hmm. to have, uh, up to backed up to each other. So um, it's not so much the uh, the method, methodology. Like, is chain link fencing adequate by itself in one chain link fence around the perimeter? Is not enough, but if they have, let's say, three sets of chain-link fencing uh, with um, pressure devices or closed-circuit television or other, then it becomes a, a, a formidable barrier. But again, the uh, I think those really are more dependent on what the local airport considers to be their vulnerabilities in terms of priority. And so if you're right by a highway, I would imagine they would want to be much more attentive to perimeter security as compared to someone that may be further out from uh, populated areas.
2: Yes, as you point out, there are a lot of similarities between the technologies that would be used to protect a large perimeter area for an airport as well as border control and border safety, isn't there?
4: There is. And that's why, um, uh, you know, TSA is under the Department of uh, Homeland Security so that there can be that kind of cross uh, uh, crossing of ideas so that Border Patrol might say, well, TSA, what about what we're using here and may be applicable that you can use in your area? Exactly. But the thing is, there are no federal grant programs that would subsidize the local airport in terms of, of enhancing their perimeter security. That's still left up to the local authority, whereas with explosive devices or other uh, things that are necessary for processing passengers or cargo, Mm -hmm. there are uh, grant programs to financially assist the
2: local airports. Okay. Well, we have to take another commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the role solar energy is playing in transportation. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. Now, everyone knows that my favorite is your Pinot Noir, but Caraccioli's known for a lot more than that.
0: It's really the bubbles that kind of differentiates what we're doing in the area as opposed to a lot of our peers. And the way that we looked at it was there's great Chardonnay and Pinot Noir fruit in the Santa Lucia Highlands in the greater Monterey County. And we wanted to be able to utilize those grapes and showcase them in a little bit different light. And to do that comes a little bit of a laborious process in terms of making sparkling wine and doing a little bit, <laughs> a lot of bit, but still definitely worth the trouble and worth the wait. Um, we're currently selling 2006 and 2007 sparkling wines in the beginning of 2013, so it kind of tells you the time invested as well as all of the different techniques that we use and Michelle implements to ensure that we're delivering a quality product.
2: Thank you for being with us again, Scott.
0: Thank you, Rebecca.
1: Hey buddy, it's me. Your laptop. That's right. Your little modern marvel of technology you've been abusing for months. Dude, we need to talk. Do you really think that those free PC fixit programs are any match for today's spyware and malware? Not to mention the NSA and some of those websites you've been visiting. Now I'm not here to judge, I'm just saying. You need to take me to Peter and the friendly staff at User Friendly Computing to get me back into tip-top shape.
8: Tired of unfriendly computer support? Slow computer? Viruses? Spyware? No problem. Call the friendly computer experts at User-Friendly Computing. We take care of all your PC, Macintosh, and laptop needs. Mention KSCO and get a free $50 diagnostic. Visit us today at 505 River Street on the way to downtown Santa Cruz, across from Gateway Plaza. We give you a choice. Drop your computer by the shop, or we'll come to you. Call us today at 423 9653 user-friendly computing
6: coast paper and
2: supply has been family owned and operated since 1948 they have a wide array of products available including brand name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies paper goods and compostable plates cups and
6: cutlery whether your needs are for business or home coast paper and supplies friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for they even accommodate special orders You can find them at
2: 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30,
6: or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First.
1: Listen to Links That Stink with Hellbard Wednesdays at 7.15 a.m. on Good Morning Monterey Bay.
7: Okay, that was a very complicated page. This one isn't.
1: Yeah, it is. It's in a different it's, language.
7: It's in, it's, but if you know what it is... different language. If you know what it is... It looks like it
1: a, a potty training tool for kids, right? It's a doll that uh, passes gas. Oh, really? Yes. It's a girl doll that passes gas. Yes. Let's get it right. And they, oh, it's an- Korean. Okay. They're an- <laughs> okay, like can't, Like all their dolls pass gas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's Korean. It makes oh, sense <laughs> now.
7: But the idea... on the doll,
1: Korean. What do you mean? They're too round. Yes. Well, most most uh, Asian animation has very wide eyes. You know. So the dolls have very wide eyes. If I was a doll that passed gas, my eyes would rocket open too. Right. That's links that stink. Literally. Every Wednesday at 7:15 a.m. on Good Morning Monterey Bay and KSCO AM 1080.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is America's first Asian American presidential cabinet member, former Secretary of Transportation Mr. Norman Mineta. And just a few m- moments ago, uh, we were talking about the fact that there are federal grants available for airports to increase security where passenger and cargo screenings available. Uh, but but um, uh, these grants don't extend to perimeter protection. And this sounds like an area where perhaps government grants may need to be extended. Would, would would you agree
4: well, and I think it's going to get even more difficult in terms of uh, what kind of financing is available for local airports, given the sequestration that 's going on through throughout the federal government mm-hmm. and uh, so no one is really um, immune from these cuts, including Department of Defense, so even uh, the Department of Homeland Security is going to be hit with some very deep cuts in terms of sequestration. So I, I'm not sanguine about any uh, new programs that would assist local airports.
2: So you feel that this will be exacerbated by the sequestration?
4: It will be. Uh, I believe so.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. Well, just to finish up on the security issues surrounding airports, are you satisfied with the progress you're seeing, or are we becoming lackadaisical as we get further and further away from 9-11?
4: Well, that is always a danger that we have about uh, uh, the success of uh, TSA. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, since September 11 of uh, 2001, we have not had a knock on wood any major um, uh, security breaches. Uh, But that's because uh, TSA and and the Department of Homeland Security is constantly looking at those uh, areas in terms of where are their own vulnerabilities. And uh, but, uh, you know, again, part of this, the, the public may become more lackadaisical. But I don't believe the people at TSA or the Department of Homeland Security are. And that's why one of the reasons I wanted to originally have on the ticket um, where the tax that was being imposed for the security fee, I wanted it to be the 9-11 uh, fee, yes. just to remind everybody that they were really um, that part of their funds. We're going towards the security of the uh, airports, and that that uh, I just wanted everyone to know every time they bought a ticket that, that the tragedy of 9-11 was what was prompting this uh, tax on their ticket.
2: It would be a good reminder, I think, as we do get further and further away from that tragic day. We get a little bit relaxed, and that's not such a good thing. I find people getting annoyed in the TSA lines for the delays and the length of the lines. And, you know, and the fact is, it's one of the few things that we have done in our government that has actually empirically worked. Uh, And so, uh, you know, it it would be nice for uh, people to be a little bit more patient and appreciative, I think. Um, So, you know, what do you say to Americans who object to being screened at airports or they're worried about the fact that, you know, this is going to open up the door to be screened in every other place and it's some infringement on the expectation of privacy?
4: Well, I I suppose part of that is... um We all have a responsibility um, in a democracy to um, sacrifice a little bit for the greater good. And um, so, yes, there are uh, inconveniences that we may experience, but to the extent that it is not a, let's say, a constitutional Violation, or to the extent that it is not um, uh, a uh, overbearing overreach, uh, I just believe that Americans feel more secure. I think the small—that's a very small percentage of people who might be belly aching in the lines, uh, but you know, I think that just keep where they keep it to themselves. And they may mutter it out loud for someone else to hear, but I don't believe they really go out to do anything to try to change it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, So now let's move on to the future of transportation. You know, the cost of transporting goods affects every area of the economy, and so much of that cost is tied to fuel. Uh, In May, we had the good fortune of witnessing a completely solar-powered airplane called the Solar Impulse take off from the West Coast uh, across the country and land in New York, and uh, now Alaska Airlines is testing solar power ramps at Seattle, Tacoma, and also your namesake airport in San Jose. Um, that said, we seem to be slow to be making the change despite the benefits to the economy and environment um, and to the larger issues of security, which is becoming less dependent on foreign oil. So what can we do to incentivize and motivate a quicker transition to solar transportation?
4: The um, And solar, even in terms of um, utilization, uh, really is a, Small percentage of our total energy bill and um, you know whether it's um, solar farms offshore generating electricity and then people say I I mean let's say if there were wind turbine farms that were built off of the Big Sur coast I mean there are people who would just really raise their ire about that just as they did uh, when the possibility of building wind farms in, off of Nantucket, as I recall. And there was a great hue and cry about it. Um, but, again, we do have to look at all alternative energy sources, whether it be um, natural gas or um, li- liquid uh, liquid natural gas or
5: mm-hmm.
4: energy forms, including solar and um But I haven't seen, again, the kind of incentives um, to be able to encourage entrepreneurs to come forward with um, big uh, uh, programs. Yeah, you know,
2: you're right. There's no incentive. I mean, and the the incentives aren't large enough. I mean, uh, earlier this year, Belgium began operating its first solar-powered trains, And uh, they mounted panels above two miles of track, and they're now providing energy for, I I believe it's 400 trains uh, in Belgium. And since 2009, we've been talking about a high-speed solar-powered railway in the United States. So what's the status of that? Is that going to come to fruition, or are we out of money?
4: You know, I'm not sure of the specifics on on that uh, solar uh, uh, high-speed rail train, but the whole issue of trying to build the initial one, those are the most costly because as you build more and more of whatever it is, the costs go down. But the initial costs for these are really great, whether they're maglev trains, maglev personal transport systems. uh, You know, how much has uh, Google put into their self-driving automobile
2: <laughs> that's, that's a good point
4: you know, what's the marketplace for that i'm i'd love to get in a car and sit down and play bridge with you as we speed along the highway going from san jose to big sur but i'm not sure that we're going to see that uh in in uh, the near future
2: Well, I don't know. Every every prediction I've made about technology has been wrong. I always say to people, it's one or two or three years out. And then three months later, I walk into Best Buy, and there it is. So I'm not going to make any more predictions about when technology will be actually available to the consumer because I always my timeline has always historically been wrong. Uh, I, I always think it's going to take longer than it is. Uh, but I will tell you that I wasn't wrong about solar. Uh, I, you know, we were talking about solar energy when I was in high school, and I don't even want to count how many years ago that was. Now we have to take our last break, so stay right where you are. We'll be right back with Norm Manetta. You're listening to the Costa Report.
1: As many of us age, we are now facing the prospect of making sure our final wishes are carried out if we become seriously ill. We worry that even if we've selected healthcare care agents, our healthcare documents may not be available when they're needed most. Hello, my name is John Lawton. I'm an elder law attorney and have been helping families in our community make sure that their final wishes are carried out. There are simple ways to do this, but unfortunately they aren't widely followed. I see cases every day where families could have protected themselves and didn't. Call me at eight three one six four nine one one two two, or visit my website at estateplan-lawyers dot com. That number again is eight three one six four nine one one two two. There's no need to put your peace of mind at risk. Make that call today.
8: your website do for you? Does it simplify doing business and automate routine tasks? Does it connect with your target audience and bring new business? If you can't answer yes, then you need to contact Sunstar Media. Located on the Monterey Peninsula for over 17 years, Sunstar Media has developed websites for startups, brick-and-mortar stores, to corporations on the stock market. What makes Sunstar different is the customization that goes into every site, tailored to each client's unique needs and vision. Sunstar's experienced pros keep you ahead of the game with their custom-fit development process for website applications that cater to your company's specific needs. Learn more at sunstarmedia.com. Mention you heard this ad on the Rebecca Costa Show and get a free web analysis report on your current site or a free web consultation for your next project. Let's discuss how Sunstar can help you. Reach out to us at sunstarmedia.com.
9: My name is Mickey Phelps here from Crown Cafe and Scotts Valley Market. I just wanted to let you know that Scotts Valley Market has some amazing prices on meat and produce and of course throughout the store. Jared and his crew from the meat department will be more than happy to cut a nice filet mignon to your liking. Also Scotts Valley Market has an amazing hot food bar and also we make some of the best sandwiches in town, like the Irish. So folks, come on in and you'll find out that Scotts Valley Market has some amazing everyday deals. Also, at Scud's Valley Market, be sure to look for those yellow tags. That's where you're going to save a lot of money. And we'll be sure that we are very competitive with other grocery stores out there. What makes us different is that we are local and family-owned. So come on in. And while you're there, be sure to ask for Mickey. And don't forget that if you need any catering, give Crown Cafe a call at 831-566-1425. 831-566-1425.
1: Start your morning with the Mary Lou Show with your host, Mary Lou Henner, on KOMY AM 1340, Monday through Friday from 5 to
0: 8 a.m.
2: Speaking of going to Nova Scotia, I'm going because I'm involved with a company that's doing a vegan fish oil, Ascenta. They're really great. I love their vegan fish oil. I'm doing a project with them. I also love Young um, for supplements and things. We're going to do a whole show both on Young and on Asenta. But yesterday I was doing a photo session for some of the, the ads we're doing for the vegan fish oil. And it was really a lot of fun to do that. So we're going to be posting pictures on that as well. Sometimes that's the hardest part of a job is looking good (laughs) i think that's why i'm enjoying this radio show although we
1: are going to be putting cameras in here very soon so you'll be able Uh to get to watch us every morning mary lou will share with you her zest for life that embraces health nutrition and a physically active lifestyle so tune in the mary lou show weekday mornings from 5 to 8 a.m on komy am 1340
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Norman Mineta. So I'd like to ask you a few questions about leadership, because you've been one of those rare cabinet members who's worked for both a Democratic and Republican president and also managed to get such a large initiative like the TSA up and running in just 12 months. But there's no argument that we're paralyzed by partisan theater these days. How do you see this situation, and how do we get moving again?
4: Well, I think that part of the process, or part of the problem, is um, the process. In Congress today, members in the House, their first vote is on Tuesday at 6.30, and I believe the last vote is about 3 o'clock on Thursday. And when I got there in 1974, uh, it was Speaker Albert then, it was Speaker um, uh, O'Neill, Speaker Wright, required us to be, our first vote was on Monday at 12 noon, the last vote was on Friday at 3 p.m. Mm -hmm. So we were there five days, and then on the weekends, then people would be able to get back to their constituency in in the districts. Mm -hmm. Um, But today, and part of it is economic in the sense that the cost of housing in the D.C. area is so high that members get elected and they leave their families in their home districts and they don't move them to the DC area uh, as, um, as I did uh, in 1974. So you don't get to build a, a personal relationship. And we used to be able to argue in subcommittee, full committee, the rules committee on the floor uh, about any given issue and yet uh, slap each other on the back and say, come on, let's go have a drink or let's go out to dinner. Mm -hmm. And that really doesn't occur today. There are some people who are trying to get some camaraderie. And the other thing is, I think uh, compromise is a bad word. Uh, Compromise means me agreeing with you. But I don't think that's what compromise is all about. It seems to me compromise is, a little give or take on both sides in order to come to that position in the middle. And uh, that just doesn't occur today, Uh, and um, so I think it's tougher. And the other thing is that I think maybe 60 to 70 people are really able to sway the vast majority in, in the House of Representatives. And so, the 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 uh, element of compromise just doesn't exist. We knew it maybe as as early as fifteen years ago.
2: I agree with you. I think the word compromise means you gave in, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's become ugly. Um, but you were very successful at getting cooperation from both sides of the aisle. And, you know, and as I pointed out earlier, you served uh, both Clinton and Bush by making it clear to both leaders that you were going to put what was good for your country ahead of any partisan antics. And I don't understand why putting the greater good ahead of party antics is not part of the culture in Washington, D.C., but listening to you, it would seem as though some of the connective tissue that made our leaders part of a community in Washington, D.C. has sort of broken down.
4: It has. It definitely has. Because, again, each other, um, you know, very well, it's easier for them to just rip into you. They have no personal friendship at stake.
2: That's right. Well, they can rip into you cuz they're not going to see you at a barbecue this Sunday.
4: That's right. And so when um, you know we used to always we did say and my my fine colleague from Idaho or whatever the phrase might be. But today it's more a mocking kind of re- reference rather than one that really is uh,
2: is affectionate. To- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what worries me about this is that uh, it almost seems like it takes a threat like 9-11 or a meteor that's going to hit the earth to cause us to get it together. And then we get it together for a short amount of time, and then we become polarized again. And this keeps us from acting preemptively, because if we have to have a threat face us in order to get it together, then we can never act preemptively to avoid a threat. And this is what I think is our our greatest danger. Would you agree?
4: You're totally paralyzed at that point. And um, the, the, the whole issue of trying to today, I think there are members who purposely want to make sure that nothing gets done. Because if something gets done, it means someone gets credit for it. And I think um, a lot of people in the Congress today are there bent on making sure nobody gets credit for getting anything done. So there's total paralysis, and so sure, naming of a post office building for some local celebrity is fine, but major pieces of legislation are totally bottled up. And the other thing that's happening is if you don't agree, then they'll say, well, we'll find a candidate to run against you in the primary. And so people get uh, very fearful of this whole issue of being challenged in, in the primary. And I used to always think, you know, there are Issues in which it's worth losing an election because you felt this way.
2: But you and, admit that you worried about retribution from the Democratic Party by taking the accepting the nomination and the position of Secretary of Treasury in the Bush administration. Uh, even you worried about retribution from your party, which I understand there wasn't any.
4: No, there wasn't any. Um, but I remember when I voted for NAFTA, I did not make my final position known on that for a long time, but I did end up voting for NAFTA, uh, which was essentially against what the labor unions wanted, what many in the Democratic Party wanted, uh, and what many in the Japanese American community wanted, because they were afraid that there would be row crops and flowers, etc., coming in from Mexico to be very competitive mm-hmm. to uh, to the uh, to what was being produced by Japanese American farmers uh, and families, but uh, in the long term, I just felt NAFTA was worth voting for. And
2: uh, well, that just speaks to your wisdom to keep that vote to yourself as long as possible, and I think that. Uh, uh, you know, many times we just don't need to make such a big deal about what our positions are. Just study them and quietly make a decision, and uh, we don't have to be standing in front of the media and whipping up people's emotions uh, every opportunity that we get. Well, we are out of time, uh, before we say goodbye, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you, Mr. Manetta.
4: That was my honor, but thank you very, very much for the privilege of being on your uh program.
2: Thank you and come back soon. Absolutely. Thanks a million. If, you, if your station is leaving us after this hour and you'd like to comment on today's program, you can email me at Rebecca Costa.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're all over the internet. So drop me a line anytime and let me know how you felt about today's interview. And if you missed the full interview with Norman Manetta or any of our other uh, guests, you can download previous programs on our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. Go to our YouTube channel. Channel and especially download my Labor Day challenge. I think you'll be. Pleasantly surprised. I don't believe you have to have a government program for everything, including jobs creation. And I think if you uh, take a look at the YouTube uh, Labor Day channel uh, or, or video, uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised. I also want to take a moment to remind you that if you haven't ordered your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, please take a moment right now and go to RebeccaCosta.com and order your copy today. In addition to being a page-turner that you won't be able to put down all proceeds from book sales, keep the cost report on the air and uh, and you know there's not much nonpartisan programming like the Costa report available today all you have to do is turn on the radio or television to witness that for yourself uh, and and see just how partisan the media's become so do your part pick up a copy of the watchman's rattle. Uh, You know my guest next week as a columnist for The New York Times, co-anchor of CNBC's Squawk Box, and author of the best-selling book and HBO film Too Big to Fail. Don't miss the always provocative Andrew Ross Sorkin next week right here on The Costa Report, the one program you can count on week after week to put principles ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for the second hour of The Costa Report when we hear what you think about our interview with Norman Mineta and transportation security.